Join us for the call to worship on Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory, and he has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with a harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let, and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice 
and the nations with fairness. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of Come on, put your hands up. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Yeah, I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. Yeah, da 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 da. I raise a hallelujah. Heaven comes to fight for me. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. Yeah. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah, but I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah. Uh, come on, declare it, declare it right here. Say, feel you lost your hold on me. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. Sing a little louder. Your turn. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder. Sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, sing a little louder, in the presence of my enemies, sing a little louder, louder than the unbelief, sing a little louder, my weapon is a melody, sing a little louder. To fight for me, sing a little louder, and I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive, and I'm gonna sing. In the middle of the storm, louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. I raise a hallelujah. A hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah. 
Come on, shout hallelujah. Come on, hallelujah. Come on, you're whispering, you're whispering. Come on, every voice. One more, one more, one more. Every voice. Come on, shout. Amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome, everyone. It is just a delight to be here together in the name of the one we serve and raise a hallelujah. Yay. <laughs> it's, um, my name is Jane DeYoung, and I am your care pastor here at Hillside. And if you're new and are new-ish, I just want to encourage you to introduce yourself to somebody today, at least one person. And you can look out for somebody wearing um, a badge like this, if that's a staff or a council person, because they would love to get to know you and just find out a little bit, answer your questions, and give you a, a welcome gift from the information counter. So please um, be sure to introduce yourself. We're glad you're here. If you're, um, hopefully you've checked in already, either on the Church Center app or at the check-in station when you came in. And if you are at home watching online, I, we encourage you to check in there as well on the Church Center app. Thank you. Now, there's a few things happening in our church life today, and I just wanted to give you a quick view of some of those. First, and quickly, I don't think there's a slide for it yet, but a, well, the Magi tickets are going on sale today. So I just wanted to let you know that. And today, also, at 1.30, we're having our annual meeting, and that's going to be on Zoom. So if you, it's not too late to join. You can um, go to the Church Center app. You can get the link. You can register. And it's, it's an important part of our church life. Um, it's how we do, you know, the decisions of how to be together, how to, you know, make all the decisions that need to be made when you're a fun functioning as a family of Christ. So... Um, I hope you'll be there. Everyone is welcome. We're going to be uh, voting on new council members. We're going to hear some important updates from the finance committee. And um, it's just, you know, it's a good idea to be there. So join us on Zoom at 1.30 this afternoon. Later this afternoon, also, if they're going to get out on that muddy field, the 40, 49ers are playing and we're having a 49ers watch party. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen or not with this weather, but um, hopefully they will. So if you are in interested in joining some others to just cheer on the Niners, bring a little food to share, some drinks to share, and um, have some fun in the student center, probably around five-ish or so, something like that. Okay, good. <clears throat> now, a week from today, kids all know it's Halloween, right? And we are having our spooktacular trunk or treat event in the parking lot at Hillside at 3.30, from 3.30 to 5. And just in, it's, everyone is welcome to come. It's just a fun event. If you'd like to participate by decorating your car and handing out candy to um, the kids who are there, then it's not too late. You can still register on the Church Center app to do that. So it's fun. It's a great little time, and I hope it's really nice weather for that. On a more solemn note, <clears throat> during the past year and a half, it's been a long year and a half, right? Over a year and a half. More than 25 people in our church family have lost a loved one. And um, some of them who have died have, have been part of Hillside. Others have been mothers or fathers, um, sisters, uh, brothers, even a son and a daughter that have been lost by those in our church family. And we've sorely missed the opportunity to support each other in that time of grieving and to be together just to remember and celebrate the lives of the, um, the ones lost. So we believe it's time to do something about that. So we're going to have a special service of remembrance on Sunday, November 7th at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary. And it will be um, a time where we're going to honor um, each person lost, and given, you know, we'll, all Hillsiders are welcome to attend, in fact, encouraged to attend, because it's your opportunity to be there for those who have, who are still grieving, and um, it will be a good and um, healing time 
I think, for our church. If you have lost a loved one during that time, I just encourage you to give me a call or call the church office, and I'm happy to answer any questions uh, that you might have about how that's, how that's going to be. So I encourage you to be part of that. Now, for our offering time today, I thought maybe we'd just be really quiet and listen to the rain. Can you hear it? Yeah. I can too. We're so glad to have this rain. But I wanted to encourage us today to let it be an image of God's love just pouring out on us without any effort on our part. And let it remind us of all that God has given us out of his extravagant generosity. Just listen to that rain. Freely we have received. Let us freely give. Would you pray with me? (coughs) Heavenly Father, may we follow the example of our Lord Jesus, your Son, who gave and gave and withheld nothing for our sake, that we might live and share everything through his name. Amen. Thank you. I lose the fun, try my best, but just don't get it right. God bless, bless our kids as they go. <laughs> Where I talk the talk that I don't want and miss the moments right before my eyes. Yeah, I do. Somebody with a hurt that I could have helped Somebody with a hand that I could have helped When I just can't see past myself Lord, help me be a little more like mercy A little more like grace A little more like kindness Goodness, love and faith A little more like patience A little more like peace A little more like Jesus a little less like me second verse yeah there's no denying i have changed i've been saved from who i used to be but even at my best i must confess i still need help to see the way you see my God somebody with a hurt that I could have helped somebody with a hand that I could have helped when I just can't see past myself Lord help me be a little more like mercy a little more like grace a little more like kindness goodness love and faith a little more like patience A little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Oh, to feed the beggar on the street, to be your hands and feet, freely give what I receive, Lord help me be. I want to put you first above all else, love my neighbor and myself. In the moments no one sees, Lord, help me be. One, two, three. A little more like mercy, a little more like grace, a little more like kindness, goodness, love and faith. A little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus. Oh, a little less like me, a little more like living, everything I breathe, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me, a little less like me.
Absolutely. Good morning. Thank you, band. I wonder if you heard this story that captivated the internet a couple of weeks ago. Back on October 3rd, a woman named Ruth Hamilton is fast asleep in her bedroom in British Columbia. And at 11.35 p.m., she awakens to a huge bang. She bolts up and feeling a cold wind, looks up and to her surprise, sees a hole in her ceiling. And uh, she also notices that she's covered in debris. Well, shell-shocked, she dials 911, and probably being the polite Canadian she is, apologizing for the late hour of the call. And anyway, it's then, while on the phone with the 911 operator, that her eyes fall on the space between the pillows. And what does she see there but a 2.8-pound meteorite lounging in bed right next to her. And uh, she could even see the depression that the space rock made in the pillow before it rolled over onto the sheets. Can you believe that? A meteorite, a space rock, originating from who knows where in deep space lands on her pillow. Now, before you panic and start bedding down each night wearing a football helmet, know that meteorites crashing through roofs is very, very rare. It's about one in 100 billion, so not likely to happen to you, but it does happen. The last reported case was in 2020 when an Indonesian coffin maker, you could not make this up, had a 4.4-pound space rock drop through his roof. So again, it does happen from time to time, and it happened to Ruth Hamilton, uh, who, despite her initial shock, is now actually quite pleased with her close encounter with a space rock. And it said that she enjoys saying to friends, uh, my granddaughters can now say that their grandmother was nearly killed in bed by a meteorite. Huh? That's a pretty good story. Now, what does that have to do with the passage that we are studying today, Luke 6, 27 through 36? Stay tuned and find out. It is great to see you this morning. It's great to have you with us if you are joining us in the live service and you're watching on the screen. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside, and today we are pressing on in a message series that we began last month called Galilee by Storm, and it comes from Luke chapters 4 through 9, and it's all about the early phase of Jesus's three-year ministry when he stormed through his home region of Galilee on a mission of healing and teaching and feasting, the significance of which we talked about two weeks ago, leaving everyone totally amazed. Let's set the stage, and then we'll read this week's passage. Jesus is before a great crowd, and like a new Moses, he's just come down from a mountain upon which he has spent all night praying about who he would choose to be in his inner group of 12. And then he begins to teach, and he starts by reiterating his primary theme, the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus believed that in him and through him, Israel's long-departed God was finally returning to remarry his people so that together they could repair God's world. And Jesus believed that in him, a permanent new world was being born, a world in which God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, Jesus' teaching is all about how to live in that new world. Now, friends, today is exciting. And I've actually looked forward to this passage uh, since we hatched up this message series a few months ago. And the reason why it's exciting is that today we come into contact with some of Jesus's most distinctive 
teaching. And when we think about the Jesus way of life, the way of life that we are trying to learn here at Hillside as his disciples, and the way of life that we are trying to pass down to our kids, what Jesus says here in our passage is right at the center. And it's also an exciting morning because this is teaching that every single one of us can apply. Whether you are a 90-year-old Rossmore resident or you are a fourth grader at Parkmead Elementary down the hill, this is teaching for everyone. And it has a huge number of possible applications. Now, let me say this at the get-go as well. This passage also generates some puzzles, not all of which we're going to be able to solve today, but in the years ahead, we are going to explore what it means to really live into this teaching because it crops up again and again and again in Scripture. Let me say one other preliminary. What Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6 is going to seem crazy. And it's going to seem especially crazy if you are new and you are just checking out Christianity. You're trying to figure out what this thing all, is all about. And if that's you, we are so glad that you are here. But it's going to seem crazy because it runs counter to all of our natural instincts. But here's the deal. If obeyed, which we can do as believing people because we are new creations we are filled with a brand new spirit. Again, if obeyed, this teaching leads to incalculable good, both in our own lives and good that cascades out throughout the world. We're going to be tempted to disregard it. We're going to be tempted to forget all about it, to let it go in one year and out the other. In the very first verse, verse 6, but I say to you who hear... Jesus alerts us to the very real possibility that we'll hear this, but we won't really listen. We should listen. We should heed Jesus here. We should take his teaching seriously with the intention to obey it just as soon as we have opportunity, which could be as soon as this afternoon, as you'll see. All right, here we go, starting at verse 27. Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Wow. How do we summarize what Jesus has just said? Here's how, and it's our big idea of the morning. Ready? As disciples... To those whom we see as enemies, we do glorious, uproarious, practical good. Let me say it again. Big idea of the morning. As disciples, people are trying to live the Jesus way in the world. To those whom we see as enemies, we do glorious, uproarious, practical good. And by the way, that phrase is similar to one I read in Tom Wright's commentary on Luke, so thank you, Pastor Tom. What do we learn here? Love of the enemy is at the core of the kingdom living. You could say it's the diamond center of the Jesus way of life. Now, before we explore what loving our enemies actually means, we need to get a handle on what Jesus means by enemies. This is interesting. Word translated enemy here in verse 27 is an adjective, meaning hating or hostile. And this means that an enemy in the biblical sense is a broad category. It's anyone we feel hostility for or hostility from 
especially in sort of a persistent way. And as my friend Peter Turry said to me last week, you know, for a first century Galilean, the, the enemy could have been anyone from uh, the slippery shopkeeper who swindled us uh, last week to the insufferable Pharisee who chewed us out when he saw us picking grain on the Sabbath to the reckless Roman soldier who ran us off the road the week before. And similarly for us, the enemy is anyone for any reason, again, whom we feel hostility for or hostility from, and especially, because I think Jesus has this kind of situation in view, anyone with whom we find ourselves stuck in a cycle of anger or resentment. It could be someone at work. It could be someone at school. It could be someone on the treadmill next to us in the gym. It could also be, as Isabella Canfield pointed out in a sermon prep discussion meeting last week, it could be someone we love, someone we love an enormous amount, even a family member, but who in that moment or season we have hostility for. And when we consider how broad the notion of enemy is in the Bible, we we discover something quite interesting if we think it through. We discover that we have enemy encounters all the time. Dealing with enemies is a huge part of life, and that's because we humans have a talent for getting into tiffs. And some of those tiffs can turn into very serious, soul-crushing grudges. Well, again, Jesus here teaches us how it is that we deal with our enemies. And he says, we love them, which again means we give to them glorious, uproarious, practical good. How do we arrive at that? How do we get there? Let me show you. The word for love in verse 27 is agapao. I bet you can hear agape in it. And if you've been around the church for any length of time, you know this is a strong word for love. Other renderings include have regard for, have affection for, even in some cases, cherish. Nevertheless, I think enemy love involves not so much a feeling as action. Verse 28, we see that enemy love involves blessing. Now, we use bless and blessing around the church a lot, but what does it really mean? This is very interesting. To bless someone is to call down God's gracious power on someone. And isn't it amazing that we can do that? As God's priests, which is how Revelation 1-6 describes every Christian as a priest, we can call down God's helping and healing power on another person. What a privilege and what an opportunity and what a challenge to wield when it comes to enemies. Second half of verse 28, Jesus continues to unpack what enemy love consists of. And, and, and herein we can see why we've defined it as glorious, uproarious, practical good. It involves praying for the person we have hostility for. To think carefully about that person, that person's situation in life, that person's needs as we understand them. And we go to God and with focus and intention we ask God to meet those needs. That's the first half uh, of the, or that's up to 28. First half of verse 29, this is a bit complex. And it's going to need its own treatment, which I'm going to give someday when we roll around to Matthew 5. All right? But suffice it to say that this bit about turning the other cheek, is, it's not a command to submit to physical abuse or any kind of real abuse. In that case, in that kind of situation, actually, genuine enemy love, where we extend practical good to the enemy, would actually demand, in the case of abuse, getting out of the situation, escaping from it, 
and not allowing the batterer to degrade himself or herself further by doing more violence. But that's not really what Jesus has in mind here. What Jesus has in view is just dignitary injury, insulting or denigrating treatment. And the kingdom way, he says, is not to return the insult, but to reply with a blessing. And then in verse 31, we get perhaps the most famous words Jesus ever spoke, words that probably every living, breathing human over about age 10 knows, since called the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. That's how the NIV renders it. And Jesus says that when it comes to enemies, and in fact, when it comes to everyone, kingdom people should think about how they want that enemy with whom they are in this grip of resentment, how they want that enemy to treat them. And then in that way, they should treat the enemy. Here, Jesus pivots. He's been dealing with the how, how we love our enemies to why. Why disciples, why kingdom people like us are to do this. Why we should give glorious, generous, uproarious love to their enemies. And listen to what he says, verse 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And then get this, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. What's Jesus saying here? Last Tuesday afternoon, three o'clock, I had my most enjoyable meeting of the week. And I had a bunch of meetings last week, and, and they were all very good, but this was my favorite one, Tuesday at 3 o'clock. And I met with Peter Turry, Stephen Weissong, Isabella Canfield, and Kate Canova to discuss this passage. And during our time together, we, we really tried to bore down into these verses, 32 through 35, to try to figure out what is it that Jesus is saying about why this entirely countercultural style of life, love of the enemy, is so central. And here's what we came up with, with Kate Canova leading the way. The reason for loving our enemies, for giving generous, uproarious, practical love to them, is that that's how we image God in the world, which is our ultimate purpose as human beings. That's because our God, the one true God who really exists, not the one who we're tempted to make up in our mind or ones people talk about in a very generic sense, the one God who really exists, who made this world and fills up this creation and is in this room with us right now, he is a God who loves his enemies. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, when we extend surprising, totally unexpected, he did what kind of love to the enemy? You know what we're doing? We are most fully imaging the God we were created to image, or to use language from verse 35 in another translation, we are truly acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. And that's why enemy love is so central. When we practice it, even in a fitful way, even when it doesn't come natural and we have to practice doing it, we're living into our created purpose because we are embodying him. We are acting the way he acts, which is our created purpose. And what's more, you know, regardless of any future reward that enemy love might involve, 
living into that created calling, it's its own reward. And I know this personally. Early last week, I experienced a test. And it was the repeat of a test I took and failed about two or three weeks ago. God does that from time to time. It gives us a test trying to shape us. If we fail it in his generosity, he sends it back our way again. And he did for me. And to protect the innocent, I won't give any identifying details, though the members of my birdhouse, my home group, the family group that meets on Sunday nights led by Mike and Anna at Downing, they know about this because I shared it with them. Anyway, the first time uh, I faced this particular test, a, a provocation from someone whom I really love, but in that moment felt like an enemy. When I had that test first time, I, I totally overreacted. <laughs> and I blew my top, quite frankly. And it's kind of embarrassing. It was embarrassing to admit this to Keon and Audrey and Sarah and Jim, all the fellow birds in my birdhouse. But that's why we have groups. That's why we meet together. Because it's an opportunity to admit our mess-ups and to grow through them with the wisdom and the encouragement and the prayer of the people in our group. Well, again, this past week, I experienced nearly the identical test. But you know what happened this time? This time, I responded in true Luke 637, love your enemies style. And in reply to something that in the moment felt kind of close to a curse, I gave a blessing. And let me tell you, in that moment, I had my reward. It just felt so good. It felt good to live my created purpose, the purpose for which I was recreated in Christ, imaging God who repays curses with blessings. And then over on top of that, it was so good then to see right before me the good that rippled out from that rather than the rage that otherwise would have ensued. What have we established? Two things. First, kingdom people, apprentices of Jesus like we are. We're apprentices of Jesus, trying to learn his way. You know what we do with enemies? People from whom we feel hostility or we have hostility for, we love them. We love them through practical action, practical creative action. And second, when we do, you know what we find? We receive a reward. And the reward has lots of different dimensions, including some future ones, I'm sure. But you know what the one in view here is that we live into our ultimate identity, which is to image God in the world, to act like his true sons and daughters who have the family likeness. Now, I can imagine at this point, some of us are, are satisfied by this reward. And others of us are thinking something along these lines, if we're really honest with ourselves. You know, enemy love is so hard. Enemy love is so grueling. And yes, I acknowledge realizing my image-bearing destiny is wonderful, but man, is there no benefit that's maybe a little closer to the ground? than that sort of lofty theological one, I think there is. I think there is. And I don't think we necessarily get it out of this passage, but we discover it when we read like we intend to read in this series contextually. And we consider what else Scripture has to say about what happens or what can happen when Jesus' people, filled with the Spirit, live his distinct enemy-loving way. And to show you, let's return to where we began, to our friend Ruth Hamilton and the story of the meteorite smashing through Ruth Hamilton's roof. In the comments of the online story uh, about what happened to her, one guy writes this very interesting. He said, I love it that this rock hurtled millions of miles through space overcame the drag of the Earth's atmosphere, crashed through a roof, but couldn't get past a pillow. 
I know the physics of energy transfer and all that, but still, it's a living, poetic image. Nothing corrodes our emotional arteries as human beings like feuds and grudges. And when we find ourselves stuck in one, we can feel there is no way out. Jesus' teaching here in Luke 6 is the way out. The enemy-loving way of Jesus is a lifeboat from that sinking ship. The enemy-loving way of Jesus is the trap door to that prison cell. The enemy-loving way of Jesus is the escape pod from that doomed rocket. And in this teaching, we have something life-giving and life-saving. And here's the point. I know you can see it. The soft, squishy pillow of enemy love can stop in its tracks what the hard roof of retaliation never can. Enemy love can melt the enemy. Even making that enemy a friend and saving our own hearts in the process, which is exactly what Proverbs 24, 21 through 22 says. Listen to it and hear it in a new context. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Practical enemy love, it can melt the heart of the enemy. It can break the cycle of hostility. Last week at Family Group, as I was chatting with uh, Brittany Arguelles, she told me a story that I have not been able to get out of my mind. And it's a way of Jesus story. It's an enemy-loving story. It's a story, you could say, about how the pillow of doing good to those who hate you, or as Stephen Weiss song quipped this past week, doing good to those who ghost you if you're a teenager, <laughs> can stop the space rock of mutual contempt in a way, again, that the hard roof of revenge never can. And when she told me this story, she had no idea what the topic of the message was this week. And before she could even finish it, I knew I was going to ask her to relay it to you. So, Brittany, would you come on up and tell us about Caroline? Thank you for letting me share this story. Um, so when we bought our home in Toronto, we were excited to build some roots in the city. We were beginning to love more and more. Meeting neighbors and building community became a mission of ours. Since three and a half years prior, we moved to Canada knowing no one. Houses in many of the neighborhoods are built close together and even attached to another home. Houses um, like our house. Um, and although the neighboring home to the left of us was detached, just a five-foot lane between us um, was all that separated our homes. We were warned by the previous owner that the single woman living next door in the detached home was difficult. Little did we know that this woman was treated very poorly by the previous owner, and her pain came out with a vengeance. Within the first week of moving in, Caroline, an older woman with a firm Austrian accent, uh, came out of our home, not to say hello, but instead to let us know of her rules um, to ensure an amicable living arrangement between us neighbors. Uh, one thing she mentioned was for our kids to stay on our side of our shared parking pad, not to play there. I reacted calmly, and I said to her, no problem. Please let us know if you need anything. We're here for you. We're happy to help you if you need it. This must have stewed in her mind, because the next time we saw her, she mentioned the shared fence post that was damaged by the limb of the huge Manitoba maple tree in our yard. The limb had fallen prior to us purchasing our home, but the damage to the fence was never fixed. My dad had come and visited um, shortly after us moving in, and I asked him to take a look at the fence post. It was an easy fix. And by the next day, the new fence post had been put in, and the fence was back upright again. Caroline 
was elated. She came out of her home and was beyond surprised that it was that simple of a fix. The next day, we received a knock on our door. It was Caroline. She had wine for us, presents for each of our children. With a sweet voice, she said, I've never had good neighbors before. She had lived there for 50 years. From that day on, there was a change about her, a softening. She was lovely, generous, and kind. About a year after we moved in, Caroline decided to sell her home and move out of the city. As she cleaned out her house, she offered me her little treasures that she thought I may like, something my grandmother would have done. We haven't spoken with her since she moved out, but we think about her often. We, remind of, we are reminded of the reconciliation that happened between our home and hers, which seemed to have freed her from the bondage of hurt and bitterness. We appreciate being part of that transformation and remembering this spurs us on to pray for our enemies and reconciliation often. Enemy love is the most powerful force in the world. It's the force of God himself who loves his enemies, who loved us when we were his enemies and flipped us from his foes to his friends. It's a love we can share because as sons and daughters of the king, we share his life. It's inside us now. And you know what? This week... Very likely, we're going to have some kind of encounter with someone who feels like an enemy or someone who very, very quickly could turn into one. Someone who comes at us like Caroline came up to Brittany like a meteorite. And in that moment, charged with the Holy Spirit, because of what God has said to us this morning, we're going to know what to do. We're going to wield the power of of the pillow, aren't we? And we're going to respond with glorious, uproarious, fence-fixing love, which we can do because God the Son, the one who died and rose again for us when we were his enemies, he's inside us. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for what you've taught us this morning. Help us to live it out joyfully and skillfully. And Father, where we have no idea how to apply it because the enemy has hurt us so badly, we pray that you would shine a light before us and use our friends, use our fellow journeyers, use the people in our groups to discern the path and may whatever small steps we take in your spirit, may they be the occasions for spirit explosions of forgiveness and reconciliation. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross Accused in absence of wrong Sin washed away in your blood Too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall scandal of grace you died in my place so my soul will live oh to be like you give all I have just to know you Jesus there's no one beside you forever the hope in my heart your sting your power
is as dead as my sin The cross has taught me to live Mercy my heart now to sing The day and its trouble shall come I know that your strength is enough scandal of grace you died in my place so my soul will live and oh to be like you leave all I have just to know you Jesus there's no one beside you forever the hope in us this morning to take a moment and pray for some people who were held hostage in Haiti, some missionaries, um, 17 of them. Um, and there were even children uh, ranging in ages from eight months to 15. Um, it's part of a, a missionary group called Christian Aid Ministries. And so I just want us to take a moment and pray for them this morning. Let's go ahead and bow for prayer. Think of these 17 people who left Ohio and went to Haiti to share the gospel. Pray for them, for their families, 16 Americans and one Canadian. It's a violent gang. And they're asking for a million dollars per person. The American authorities and the Haitian authorities are trying to resolve this peacefully. They've declared Thursday as a day of fasting and prayer for them. Pray that God will sustain them and God will rescue them. Pray for the world around us. God will forgive us when we lose sight of the big world around us. This is just a reminder to pray for the world, pray for peace, and pray for, um, I love the end of Revelation where it says, even so, come quickly, O oh God, come quickly. Pray that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, that people will get to know him. 
But that God will rescue these people. God, we pray that you will bring them back safely. God, that you will bring peace to their families as they cry and mourn. And weep and trust and hope and pray that they come back. So we trust you and we ask on their behalf and for the sake of your name. Amen. darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord yeah you know this it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Sing, you give life, come on. You give life, you are love, you bring light. To the darkness you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. Every voice, come on. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. I sing this right here. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Come on, say. All the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Come on, hey. all the earth will shout your praise. Yeah. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Oh, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you. 
prayer this morning. Our prayer team is up front. Brother Floyd and Sister Janet, who lead us so faithfully in prayer. If you need prayer this morning, please come and join them. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 6.16 as you go today. I'm going to read them in two different versions. Okay? Here you go. This is from uh, NLT, New Life Translation. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. And then the message. God's message yet again. Go stand at the crossroads and look around. Ask for directions to the old road, the tried and true road. Then take it. I don't hear any amens. All right, God bless you as you go. Have a wonderful week.